I've gotten to the point where I encourage people to never use the word help. Where somebody's bleeding out of their femoral artery or their brachial artery, that's because they've lost an arm. They've had a leg severed against the femoral artery or something of that nature, and they're bleeding to the point that they're going to die within minutes. Hey everybody, welcome to the Survival Show Podcast with me, Craig, and nobody else. Man, here's some of the insight into doing a podcast. So today we were in the process of trying to record this podcast. Ben had some technical issues, so we kind of pushed him out to see if we could get some good internet connection, then David had more issues. And so this is just the necessary function of David and I, who's in beautiful Pennsylvania, and I, who am in beautiful Kentucky, trying to do a podcast together. So with that said, you got me today, you all. So it's going to be my job today to take you step by step through the mindset, skills, tactics, and gear you need to survive any crisis, emergency, or disaster and show you how to use the lessons you learned today to thrive in your life tomorrow. So yeah, I'm glad I'm here. So Craig, how you doing? <laughs> so yeah, this is, I love rolling with the punches, if you know what I mean. So that's what we're going to be doing as best we can today. We being I, Craig Cottle. No, you're not listening to a Manly Musings. You're listening to the normal podcast. But uh, I'm glad I'm here. I'm glad that we have the ability to get this done because this is good information, you all. What we wanted to do is obviously to make sure that we progressively include, uh, increase your survival IQ every time you come in here, help you out so that you're better prepared at the end of the show than you were at the beginning. And what we're going to be talking about today is what we're calling the danger zone. It sounds like a sort of a silly title, but I like it. It's basically when you find yourself in a dangerous situation and an incident has happened, how do you find yourself mentally, physically, and how do you get out of it so that you can get some things done? So we're going to discuss basically how to assess danger. Then I'm going to get into how the bystander effect affects us and how we can overcome it. And then we're going to apply all of this to active shooter situations. I'm also going to go into a look at how to handle yourself during a vehicle crash. We're going to consider slowly and for a very short period of time, tornado, earthquake, and flooding. And I say shortly only because we've covered these topics already and I'm going to give you some ideas on how to find that stuff. I'm also going to go into how to stay and when to stay put, when not to get out of the danger zone, when to stay there. And then we're going to jump into the mailbag because I have a question from last week that we did not get into last week and I want to make sure we get to it. So as a reminder, don't forget to check us out on the website. The website is coming along. You can't see anything. It's under construction right now, but in the very near future, you'll see a lot of cool stuff coming up at the survivalshow.com website. And as we've said many times, check out the Tiny Survival Guide you can find over on tinysurvivalgear.com. The reason I'm bringing that up today is because basically today's podcast is covering what is in section D on the tiny survival guide and what we wanted to do is yeah obviously the tiny survival guide is not all inclusive in what it can offer it's really a cliff notes version of survival on purpose we wanted it to be that way 
so you can look at some things, jog your memory, help you out in bad situations when you have time, as well as you can use it as a training mechanism too. So we've been going through, when we've had time, different podcasts that we can go over these aspects of what's found in the Tiny Guide, Tiny Survival Guide. And today, it's Section D, so you can check that out as a reference point as well. Our first topic is going to be assessing your situation. There are several things that you, I, we all need to keep in mind for this. Number one, if you've ever had any sort of first aid training, you'll get this. You are the person that is number one. You don't ever want to go rushing into a situation and become the next victim in that particular situation. Obviously, there are some times in warfare, there's some times in everyday life where you have to rush into situations. You've got to make a split-second decision, and you've got to get some things done, and you've got to get those things done now. I get that. You know That's why we have people that win the Medal of Honor, because they make split-second decisions, and they get things done under undue and incredible amounts of stress. And, you know, that's important. I'm not saying that we should never do it. But for most of us, one of the worst things that we can do is go rushing into a situation and not assess what we see around us. Think of it this way. A good EMS first responder, a good law enforcement officer, um, a paramedic or EMT, they're going to assess that situation when they show up. And they're they're the cavalry, right? They're the ones that are coming in to fix those problems. And so they're going to assess it when they come in so that they obviously don't become uh, a victim as well. Think of it this way. I mean, let's say that there's uh, like right now, as I'm recording this podcast, there is a lot of high wind here in Kentucky. There was a tornado that touched down earlier today. Uh, I just got off the phone with a future guest, which is pretty cool. That's going to be on the show. And he said that the electric's out in his hometown. He lives in Southern Indiana. And so think about it. Let's say that uh, some power poles gets, get knocked down. Somebody uh, is near them. You go rushing in and you get electrocuted in the process. Then you're dead or you're injured at the very least. And now the problem is exponentially worse. So in you know a situation like that, a vehicle wreck or some of that nature, there might be leaking fuel. You want to assess, is there smoke coming out? Do you see fuel pouring out the bottom of a car? And one that I share in wilderness survival all the time is, you know, one of your people that you're with out in a wilderness area, you see them fall and they start holding their leg or something of that nature and you don't know and they're just screaming, they're hurting, they're scared or they're maybe they're not saying anything at all and you go rushing into them. Well, you could either trip and fall into a hole that the one that they tripped and fell into and broke their leg or maybe just maybe they got bit by a venomous snake. And you go rushing in and then bam, you get envenomated as well. Uh, you know, this, it's just something that you should avoid and assess that. And the way you avoid it is that you assess the situation. One of the other things that's vital to you to be able to assess the situation is think about what situations that you might find yourself in or that you're likely to find yourself in and start making decisions now on how you're going to handle it. You know, I had a, uh, a close associate of mine the other day. There was a lot of high water here in Kentucky, and there was uh, a lot of high water. And there was a parking lot near a gas station that the water had overcome the ditch. And it really seriously looked like that the water 
went across the ditch and then into the parking lot. So if you weren't familiar with the area, you wouldn't realize that there was actually a ditch there. And this woman drove through the parking lot. It was just a little bit of water, right? Like two inches. And then she literally drove straight into the ditch, front end of her car down, back end of her car stuck up in the air. And she's got, and don't get me wrong, there wasn't water that was rushing over. It wasn't that deep. It wasn't that big of a ditch. But the person that I'm familiar with, he, you know, immediately went to get her out knowing because he was familiar with the area where the ditch was, where the parking lot was and all these sorts of things so that he could effectively help this elderly lady. And that way he made that split second decision, split second decision to go in there and do something now. And keep in mind, too, when when it comes to situations like this, one of the ways that we can overcome a lot of it is to be real direct with our communication. And I say that because there is a common effect that's referred to by a couple names, the bystander effect or bystander apathy. And what happens is an event happens, let's say that somebody's in a car crash or maybe a building falls or a power line falls or somebody gets injured or somebody, you know, something even more simple than that. Let's say there's a physical assault and somebody gets injured. The bystander effect is where people that are in the surrounding area just stand there and watch and they don't do anything to affect any change. So that right there is bystander effect is they, they think that number one, somebody else is going to do something about it. Number two, that they don't want to get involved because they might get injured and any number of things like that are important to recognize this bystander effect. And the way you get over that is what I just mentioned, which is you use strong communication. Okay. What I mean by that is that it may take you just literally pointing at somebody in their face and yelling at them and saying, you call 911 or some variation of something like that, or you, you need to direct traffic away from this situation. And that bystander effect, when they are told by somebody else, oftentimes you can overcome that. Obviously, some people might go into shock and they'll just be absorbed in it and not be able to do anything about it. But if you can use your communication skills to be able to affect change in that situation, you can sometimes over, overcome that bystander effect. One of the ways that uh, that I've tried to share some information on that is in self-defense training. For, I've been teaching self-defense for uh, over two decades now. So one of the things that I tell people is a story, and I'll tell you this story too. I was teaching a senior class, a host senior class of a local high school. There was well over 100 girls in this senior class, and I was teaching a female self-defense class before these girls left high school and went to college and and got into serious dating away from home and all that good stuff. And, and, and I do quite a bit of that. And one of the things that always comes up is if you're being attacked, what do you yell? What do you say? What do you scream? I mean, to, to bring attention to yourself. And I've gotten to the point where I encourage people to never use the word help because of two reasons. Number one, bystander effect. People think somebody else is going to do something, so they ignore it. And number two, the word help from an even more simplistic consideration is a word that you and I use on a regular basis. You know, can I help you? You might see somebody at, even at a fast food joint. Can I help you? you know, that sort of thing. And so it's a word that really doesn't stand out to us as being out of the ordinary. And so because of that, and because we use it regularly, what happens is we just, we just go with it. We don't pay attention to it. 
So I recommend people scream or yell the word rape, male or female. It doesn't matter to me. Yell the word rape because the word rape has a very negative connotation in our, our culture. We don't like it. Nobody likes it. And so when we hear that word, it gets our attention. And more often than not, you hear that word and we have a personal affront to it or we have uh, a strong desire, desire to not want that to happen, we're more likely to get involved. And so yelling the word rape is going to be a much more usable term than something like help or something of that nature. So same thing is true with this bystander apathy. You can use the word rape, but again, keep in mind, you, you may have to literally get in somebody's face and shake them, and I'm not shake them to the point of hurting them, but shake them out of their shock and tell them what they need to do and get real direct and just casually telling people to do this or asking somebody to do that in that situation is not necessarily going to be the best way to go. Now, beyond that, when this situation happens, the best solution for all of us is to get professional help whenever it's possible, meaning call 911 and get those that know what they're doing under these circumstances there to help. Whether it's law enforcement, EMS, or fire, whatever it might be, you know, it, it would might be best for you to get out of the danger zone, wherever that dangerous situation is, and get those first responders on the way. To that end, there's some things that you need to be comfortable with when you call 911 to make it as efficient as possible or as efficient a situation as you can. Number one, know where you are. Uh, know the address. It, it, that is going to be the best thing that you can share with a 911 uh, dispatcher. At the very least, know where your cross street is that you're located on. And if, let's say, you're somewhere on an interstate or something of that nature, know what mile marker you've just hit. We talk about situational awareness all the time as being key to everything that we're doing in survival and self-defense and all that good stuff. As you're going down the interstate, you should know roughly what mile marker that you are driving by. You know, what exit did you just pass in case, hey, as you pass something up, car breaks down, you you get a flat tire and you're off the side of the road and you need to call for help. You need to have a, a basic idea of where you are. Maybe your map doesn't work any number of things. So at least know where you are at all times as best you can. You'll then need to explain to the dispatcher what it is that you're seeing as best you can. And that means you see somebody that's injured. There's somebody over here that looks like they have difficulty breathing. You have somebody that was thrown and they, there's no movement from them whatsoever. And what this does is it does help the first responder that's going to be showing up on the scene. It helps them to get prepped either mentally and sometimes even with the right gear as they show up on the scene. So if they know that certain accident, uh, an accident has happened and certain injuries have occurred, when they hop out of that buggy, they might already have the stuff in hand that's going to help them fix those problems. I'm not saying they will. I'm not saying that's protocol. I'm just saying that what EMS people that I know, they want to be prepared when they show up on scene as best they can. Now, with that said, even if they're not, even if they don't get that information, they're going to triage the situation. They're going to take care of business as best they can. But if you could help them, the best way you can help them is to give them as much information. And you do that by giving it to the dispatcher. If you have an opportunity and you do some first aid at the scene, then another thing that you can do 
is make sure that you're telling the dispatcher that, you know, especially if you're doing CPR or something of that nature, then they need to know I've been doing CPR on somebody for 15 minutes when the EMS finally gets there or five minutes, whatever it might be it takes to get uh, somebody to your assistance. In that situation, you have they have the ability to begin to know what kind of care that they need to transition to because if somebody's been having CPR done on them for X amount of time and I'm not an EMS I'm not an EMT or a paramedic, so I don't know what that is. But if they've had that sort of care being uh, given as first aid before EMS gets there, they need to know that. And that helps them give proper care and even more extended care. So an important thing to do is to always also, the next step here, would be to triage the situation as best you can for injuries and fatalities. And just recognize that family or close friends or and even sometimes strangers that they may see a, a very serious accident and very serious injury to someone and particularly a fatality, they're probably going to go into shock. So uh, that's really important to be able to talk directly and get things done in such a way that you can help them again the ems and first aid when they get there but or emts and paramedics when they get there but you yourself can also take care of stuff as best you can just keep in mind and and this is why you need to get first aid training we haven't even started talking about first aid on the podcast yet and and we'll get to it soon and when we do we'll have some people with some real good skill on here that we can interview because I'm not an EMT or paramedic or never been a medic in the military or anything like that. I mean, I have that training, you know, I have wilderness uh, remote first aid training and I have, you know, American heart and, and uh, uh, red cross training, but obviously I've not been doing that as a job. So we need to get an expert in here to be able to help us with those things. But one of the things that should be evident to everybody, if it's not, I want to make sure I say it out loud is some situations you have to determine if a, it is best to move somebody, okay? My opinion, to be as as safe as we can, is not move anybody that does not absolutely 100% have to be moved or they're going to die. Meaning, okay, you see somebody in a car and it's on fire. Well, that person is going to die if you don't get them out, right? So if you have the ability to do that, again, remember you're number one. If you have the ability to do that, then you can help extricate them from the car if you can. Um, the the reason I bring this up is that the percentage in that 60 to 70% range, listen to this, this is one of the statistics that came up when I was writing my first book, Extreme Wilderness Survival. I thought it was pretty interesting. In, in backcountry injuries, people that experienced paralysis and had some sort of fall that caused them to become paralyzed, in 60 to 70% of the cases, that paralysis was caused by the people that moved them after the accident. More, they most likely would have been fine had they not been moved by a well-meaning person that was trying to help them. And that is, that is a very tragic statistic in my mind. So if you don't have to move someone, if they are not absolutely in imminent danger of their life, then leave them there and do what you can to support them then to support them wherever they are. And again, wait until EMTs and first responders get there to help you. And because they're the professionals, they do that sort of thing all the time. And that way you can help. 
some of the issues that you, you can help with those, think about a significant bleeding issue or a breathing issue. These are two issues that if you don't help somebody get fixed, they're probably going to die. When I say significant, I'm talking about an arterial bleed where somebody's bleeding out of their femoral artery or their brachial artery. That's because they've lost an arm. They've lost, you know, they've had a leg severed against the femoral artery or something of that nature, and they're bleeding to the point that they're going to die within minutes. You know, first responders very likely are not going to be there in two, three, four minutes. And so because of that, you need to... You need to put pressure on that wound and get some first aid, know how to apply a tourniquet and all the things that go along with it because that is a, a critical life-saving device. Now, this is really important. As you get on a scene and you're trying to assess a danger zone, one of the best things you can do is remember to, listen to me, remember to breathe. We've talked about decision-making. We've talked about how to be more situationally aware. And every time we talk about it, what continues to come up, whether we're talking to the research that I've studied when I was writing my books, or we've talked to one of these experts that we've interviewed, is always, if you're having issues in decision-making, whether it's systematic decision-making or on-the-cuff, real on-the-fly decision-making, you will do a better job if you're getting more oxygen to your body and you're more relaxed. And one of the best ways to do that is to simply breathe. So you show up on a scene. It's a bad scene. You immediately rush in to do something. And you're immediately at that point getting less oxygen to your body. So you're going to tire quickly. You're not going to be making good decisions. And one of the best things you can do is take a big deep breath. And when it gets overwhelming, in the situation, stop and do it again. Just stop and take a big, deep breath. And doing that also is an example for other people. And you can tell people to do that. Hey, listen, sit down. Take a big, deep breath. Calm down. Because that might be the thing that keeps somebody from going into shock. Okay? So, as I said, let's let's dig into this specifically on active shooter. Now, we've had a podcast uh, specifically addressing active shooter, active aggressor, but I want to make sure that we bring these topics in. So look back. If, if you're new to the survival show, then, hey, number one, glad you're here. But number two, uh, look back in the podcast and you'll see um, what number the active shooter, active aggressor podcast is, and it, it's titled as such, and you'll be able to find it rather easily. But some of the things that came out of that that is important to understand about the danger zone, which is our specific discussion here, is number one, as preemptively as we can, let's not be there. So if we can avoid an active shooter situation, then let's do that. Uh, one of the things that I covered in depth was pre-event indicators and the statistics that tell us what kind of people are the type to do active shooter situations, obviously. And, and this just came out in the last, I think, three weeks when the FBI concluded their investigation of the shooter in Las Vegas, they, if I understood what was put out, and I only read two or three news articles on the subject, I didn't actually read the study. I don't even know if it's available. But, but uh, the thing that came out was that there was actually no reason that they could find that that shooter did what he did. So conspiracy theorists are running wild with it, and I understand why, because it's everybody wants to find a solution for everything that happens in the world. Sometimes we just don't understand, okay? But as best we can, uh, 
Listen to that podcast, and you'll understand what I mean by what's referred to as left of bang. We want to be left of the event. If the bang is the event, whatever that event is, active shooter or car wreck or whatever, let's do everything that we can to be left of it on the time continuum. That way we don't have to deal with it at all. We avoid it. And so that is a, a very important aspect of it. And then, again, Homeland Security teaches a real incredibly fundamentally um, simple way of teaching how to deal with active shooters, which is what they call run, hide, fight. Okay. So the more training you get, the more you will realize that there's more options in an active aggressor situation. But for people that only going to listen to a podcast here, maybe read an article there, then the run, hide, fight is, is not a bad way to consider it. Meaning when actor, whenever an active shooter situation goes down, your first order of business is to run. Basically create distance. Get away from the aggressor. Get away from the shooter. Whatever, if they're aggressing with a car, if they're aggressing with a knife, if they're an actual active shooter shooting a weapon, then distance yourself. Get away from them. The farther you get away from somebody, the more difficult it is for them to bring harm to you with a weapon. Not impossible, mind you, but it's just more difficult. When you can't run, then you hide. You put something between you and the aggressor. You know, there's a difference between cover and concealment. But concealment is where you get to a spot where they can't see you, and cover is where you get to a spot where whatever weapon they're using, they can't use it against you. Again, if that's a car, then you're going to have to get some behind some sort of earthen or very seriously a hard concrete barrier. If it's a shooter, uh, same same thing. That's the best solution is earthen or concrete. And then um, if you can't do those things, then you can sue yourself to at least make it difficult for the active aggressor to see you. And then when you can't do those two things and you're, you're put in a situation where you're right in direct contact, then you fight. And you fight them with everything you've got. You fight like an animal. You know, my, my contact, we talked about self-defense a few weeks ago with Dr. Brian Jones. Um, and I can't remember if he got into this. I know he teaches this because he and I have taught a couple classes together here and there. But my perspective on it is three things. When you get in, when you have to get in a fight, you, you, you use three very important things. Surprise, speed, and violence of action. Meaning you surprise the people with as much as you can. You don't let them know that you're getting ready to do something when you decide to act. And then you go, you go crazy. I call it like going on Wolverine on them. You know, Wolverine is an incredible, incredibly ferocious animal. And when they decide to defend themselves, they defend themselves like a boss. You know, you, you get that surprise, you do it with speed. And then the violence of action is you go, you go in self-defense, particularly with somebody that's holding a weapon and maybe you have one or you don't. If you don't have a weapon to defend yourself with and you have to go hand hand to weapon, then you go, well, you do it hand to hand too. But if you get to a situation where you need to defend yourself, then you deliver a violence of action like that person's never even seen in the movies. You go crazy on them. And that way you can defend yourself more appropriately. And again, beyond that, as far as getting out of the danger zone, even if you're a, a gun carrier and the best solution, in my opinion, others may dif differ with me, is to remove yourself. Get away from the situation. Call 911. Explain what's going on. And that way you can help the first responders be able to do what they're doing. They're the, you know, more often than not, they are the professionals and let them handle the situation. When you feel it necessarily for moral reasons or you feel it for, 
uh, the safety of your family that you need to address somebody because you carry a gun, then you need to have adequate training to be able to do that appropriately or very likely you could hurt somebody else. Now, um, moving on to the next segment, let's, let's take a look at and consider vehicle crashes. So there's two huge situations here to get us out of the danger zone. Okay. The first is to basically, you know, first things, remove yourself in the vehicle whenever possible, but still remain visible to first responders. So let's say that you're in that crash. Let's say that you've crashed on an interstate. If you stay in that car, there is a really good chance that another car is going to come in and smack into that accident. Okay. So remember people get in their ruts and they don't pay attention. There's idiots all the time that are on their phones, not paying attention to what's going on around them while they're driving. And all of a sudden, boom, on the middle of an interstate or a highway, all of a sudden there is a car stopped in the middle of the road. More often than not, people, when they first see that, instead of going, Oh, I see something that stands out instead of starting to slow down, which should be our response. What we'll do is just keep on going. Right. And that's the, typical normal person and so there's a good chance of you getting hit so get out of your vehicle when it's safe to do so when you're not injured remove yourself from the the accident site and uh, that is going to be very important uh, the second one is can you get that vehicle no matter what's going on can you get it turned off um, that way it's just sitting there if there's a leak let's say for example from gas then there's not the engine running or you know maybe there's a break in the engine block or some of that nature so that there's oil and and any number of substances that might be leaking out then we want to do everything we can to get that vehicle turned off because the engine doesn't push that to happen even worse than it already is it's just an inanimate object that's sitting there with no uh, functioning portions and so it just leaks okay get that engine turned off as best you can okay it might be that the transmission is busted the engine's still running at a high rate of rpms and that's just sitting there that's just going to cause a lot of heat and in a situation where there's a considerable amount of heat and there's gasoline and there could be a um, heat from the engine that could be a dangerous situation so get that vehicle turned off now, as I mentioned earlier, let's dig into natural disasters uh, slightly. Uh, we've had discussions with natural disasters in depth with Creek Stewart. So go back to podcast number six for that one. That was a really good podcast with Creek. Uh, had a lot of comments from David and myself as well. And, and Creek brought up some really important points. And last week we had podcast number 16 where we discussed tornadoes in depth because this season is we're getting into tornado season and as i mentioned we had a tornado here this morning so when i say here here in kentucky not here in my hometown but one of the things that we haven't talked about on the podcast yet is earthquakes there uh when was it four months ago i can't remember when there was a huge earthquake somewhere and i can't even remember where it is now but there was roads were destroyed and uh, houses fell down and any number of things and so I thought we'd at least mention earthquakes and, and look at I'm sure we'll get into a podcast. Uh, hey, sitting here thinking about it, that's what it was. When we had Ron on and we talked about survival shelters and his company, he, we talked about earthquakes somewhat in that podcast. So check that one out as well. But the big thing on earthquake is this, is that you're probably going to be in one of two places. You're either going to be inside or you're going to be outside. If you're inside, 
then you want to get to the ground as fast as you can because basically the earth is going to be like an ocean. Waves of land are going to be moving around, tossing, moving the house around, depending upon obviously how intense it is. And it's going to throw you to the ground very likely. And when that happens, you don't want to be thrown literally up against a wall or into a, a glass table or be around the dishes in the in the kitchen where everything falls on you, cuts you. You want to be able to get down so that you can get away and get yourself underneath of a table or something. At the very least, get something on top of your head. Your head is what I refer to as a computer in self-defense and the hard drive. And if the hard drive's not working, the rest of it is not working. So you want to protect your noggin no matter what. So get on the ground, get underneath the table, get underneath something that's going to give you a, a, a certain amount of protection. At the very least, get next to a piece of furniture that's taller than you. So that if something does fall, it can hit that piece of furniture and not fall on top of you. Okay, that's a real simple thing, but the that's some ideas of some things that you can do if you're inside. Next, the best place for you to be in an earthquake is literally outside. And because there's not as much likelihood of stuff falling on you, although the things that could fall on you are a house, power lines. And so when you do get outside, try to get out into the open as best you can and pay attention to what's going on around you so that if you see something falling, you can start to get out of the way. But don't get outside, for example, and then move right up next to a house and lean against the house because what happens if the house falls? That's going to happen rather quickly. The other one is apparatuses like fire hydrants and gas meters and stuff like that. You don't want to be situated next to them because if they explode because of the earth has been moving so much that they break the lines, then that's going to be an incredibly dangerous place to be as well. So, and, and last but not least on this particular is, uh, on this particular situation is when is there a good time or is there a good time to stay put and not move, not get out of the danger zone, stay in the danger zone? Well, if it's an actual dangerous situation, then the best thing to do is remove yourself, even in a wilderness situation. If there's a possibility of an earth, I mean, earthquake or an avalanche or some, large-scale situation, even a tornado, then get out of that danger zone, even in the wilderness. But when you get lost, without a doubt, the answer is to stay put and not move at all. If you stay put, you're basically, and, and, and it may be just a play on words, but you're basically staying inside the danger zone, right? But what we know from a lot of research, and I know if you've read my books, listen to my videos, and listen to anything I've said on this podcast up to this point, uh, other podcasts that is, then you know the best solution is to not get yourself further lost. There was a great podcast about rescue that I interviewed my good friend Tracy Trimble on, and we talked about this in depth. When I say we, he talked about it. He's a search and rescue guy, and he, even today, as I'm sitting here talking to you, he was out for a good portion of the night last night, uh, two events um, that where there were some people lost. This is all public, so I can say what I know publicly about it. I don't know anything behind the scenes, actually, anyway. But some people got lost on a trail, and some people dumped in a canoe, and they had to go out in the middle of the night, basically, and 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 bring them both both parties back to safety. And so um, I can tell you, the best thing that you can do to help those search and rescue people is to sit your butt down, tell your kids, hug a tree. And when somebody yells your name, yell back. That way you can get people 
out that are looking for you and they're going to be yelling your name. If you're out moving around, number one, you're not going to hear them yelling your name as easily. And number two, you're more likely to get hurt, more likely to get hurt. And you're more likely to get yourself more lost. So why not just sit down and wait? Hug a tree. Stay next to the tree. And that's going to help you out tremendously. So, guys and gals, that is it for the meat and potatoes of what we wanted to talk about today. And again, I'm sorry uh, that David's not here. I know he wanted to be here. He was really bummed. He sent me a couple of texts. Matter of fact, he sent me a couple of texts while I'm recording here, talking about being bummed about not being here. And so, um, yeah, it, it's okay. We'll roll with the punches. And so that is it for the danger zone. I do have something I want to get out of the mailbag, though, and take a look at it. But Again, as always, if you have any questions or comments or concerns about any of these topics that we're discussing on the podcast, then just you know how to get in touch with us. Check us out at survivalshow.com. Right now, that's going over to Patreon. You can contact us there. But what you can also do in the near future is the Survival Show is going to have some even easier ways for you to contact us and converse with us. And that way, we can answer your questions on the podcast and answer your questions offline and and all that kind of good stuff as well. So thanks for joining me for the Danger Zone podcast. Now, let's take a look at this mailbag segment. So this is a question that we didn't get to last week. We had two questions, and we only got to one of them. But the question was, are there any specific plants or herbs that you can suggest to grow in, in our gardens for survival? Okay, so I really wanted to hear what David's perspective is on this because I know he and his wife have a pretty significant herb garden because I have seen it. I have and walked around in it with his wife and, and learned a lot, had an opportunity to walk around and learn from her. And uh, in absence of him, I'm going to offer what my wife and I do. We do have some herbs that we grow as well, but we spend more time ourselves uh, making sure that we understand what kind of things grow naturally as well. Because you can think about an herb garden in particular. Uh, those are going to last in short order. So there's definitely some things that I can think of that we should grow. Maybe, you know, something like an aloe plant or something of that nature that is going to be useful for medicinal purposes. And just what you can do, because it's just hard to discuss this subject on a podcast, is... Go to my YouTube channel. That's Nature Reliance. Nature Reliance. There's a link for it down below in the description. And I have a playlist on there talking about edible and medicinal plants where my wife and I go through a bunch of them and we discuss them and share uh, recipes and we share all kinds of things. So check that out. That's a good way of getting started. And the reason I suggest this is that there's going to be a more larger amount of those types of plants than there are than what you can grow in a garden that are just not going to last that long in a in a you know i've been having struggle with this word true survival situation is and maybe we'll discuss that some other time but but uh, it's it's good for us to grow some things i'm not saying you shouldn't but just realize those things are more than likely going to run out rather quickly and so it would be worth your while to invest some time energy and study into edible medicinal plants and stuff of that nature that way you can be more prepared to find something no matter where you find yourself uh, it's survival very rarely happens for uh, an event and you're just sitting at home and everything's fine and your herb garden is the right season and all that good stuff and so it was my recommendation that you learn 
different edible medicinal plants and you learn them in the various seasons because for example right now middle of march there is very little out there in the way of the things that i'm going to have literally a month from now even two weeks from now we're going to have so much more stuff because it's already popping up and i'm seeing it so give a study to that you know i'm a big fan of books obviously and apps that you can take a field uh, just to give you an idea a, a really good book is identifying and harvesting edible wild plants by steve brill uh, that's my first recommendation always mainly because brill makes the subject fun it's a study it's not real dry the way he writes his book it's real enjoyable read and the second one is any of the peterson guides uh, the peterson's the peterson guides are just fantastic they have guides on tracking and and mammal behavior and and obviously edible plants and reptiles and herpetology and any number of things. So I'm a big fan of the Peterson guides. So that's two good resources for you there to help you get started on your edible and medicinal plant journey. So thanks for the question. Uh, that question did come from Patreon and we're glad that we got it. So I hope that helps. So guys and gals, guess what? That's it. That's it for me, Craig. And producer Craig and my co-host Craig today. I've had a good time and I'm glad we were able to roll with the punches so that we can get this information out for you. As always, we appreciate everything that you all do to support us. Uh, one of the best ways that you can do that is to go to the, and this is free. I love free, don't you? I love free. Go subscribe to the podcast right now. If you've already done that, hey, thank you. Seriously, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much. We appreciate you for everybody that's already subscribed to the podcast. Uh, appreciate everybody that's given us a five-star review. P appreciated the dude that uh, didn't give us a five-star review. He gave us some constructive feedback. He gave us a four-star review and gave us a couple things that we could work on. And guess what? We're working on them. We've already instituted them. And so we're thankful for that. You know, when you give us constructive crit criticism in a professional way, we're going to listen to it and we're going to do what we can to make it um, an option. And if we have the ability to do it, we're going to do it. You come on as a troll. I'm just telling you, probably not because we love good communication, even when it's harsh criticism to us, as long as it's professional. So give us those five-star reviews, uh, send us information that you think will help us. If you have questions, hit us up on Patreon and again, check out the survivalshow.com to get information. All that's going to be, updated and coming to you in a much bigger way in the real near future. So look in the description below. There's a further info on my books and training because we go over all that. There's a link down there for the tiny survival guide and other links that I've discussed today. And that way you can go study on your own and get more information as best you can. Because guess what? Guess what? Thanks for listening. I'm gone. I'm out of here. See ya. Mic drop. I'm out. I got enough stuff to do. And it's good to be with you, though, always. See you next time on the Survival Show podcast. Keep it simple, be positive, and stay sharp. <laughs> <laughs>